You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Okay, this is just a little too much for me. I've been following what people have been having to say about the Super Bowl. And I was watching this news clip and there is a news anchor and she was talking about how there's an Instagram model who was arrested at the Super Bowl for trying to jump onto the field. And I'm paraphrasing here, but she said the anchor said she even tried to lift up the back of her dress as she was taken away in handcuffs. So it seems like they had a streaker and there were some funny memes where they had some photos of the security guards and one of them is looking at the other and he goes, oh, should we do something? Is that a streaker? And they said, oh, no, those are just the performers. Anyways, I bring this up because, wow, isn't it entertaining to say the least that maybe you remember back in the day you'd have the streakers trying to jump on the field, running around, mooning people. They'd get arrested. They'd get hauled off. Yet here we are, you know, the prime time for the Super Bowl, the halfway show, halftime show. And here they are with just, I mean, appalling. I mean, I remember I wasn't allowed to watch music videos when I was a kid because it was just inappropriate. Yeah, America's pastime, sports, here we are, the big show. You know, not everyone pays attention to the Super Bowl, the game itself. I personally wouldn't really be able to tell you what was going on, but we pay attention for the commercials and the halftime show. In what we saw on stage, sure, some great talent, great music. There was some great dancing, but there was also some that was just too much, especially when it came to the costume. I was glad that J-Lo at least had a little bit more clothing on during the part of one of the songs when her daughter joined her up there on stage. Uh, But some of those costumes, I just thought, okay, that doesn't even look like it fits you. And where the sequins are, they're just a little too narrow. Like it's not even appealing. And so when I'm looking at what happened at the halftime show, I know a lot of people are saying this, but we can't forget it. Here's just this absolute sexualization of women, essentially, not just, you know, everyone of women, like here they are celebrating that they have two Latino women up on stage. And yet it's vulgar. It's gone too far. And, you know, they have these children in cages that are supposed to represent the children who are separated from their parents at the border. And again, I'm not going to get into all of that. But what I will talk about, a topic we discuss here on Trending, is just how is it that we can objectify women on stage and then try to draw attention to another issue? And it just sounded very confusing. And with all the kids they had on stage as well, This show, this halftime show, is contributing to the objectification of women, hands down, reducing women to body parts, which we're not, or reducing women to productivity, which is so much of what our culture does, that you're just worth something for what you can contribute to this business. And if you want to get pregnant, have a child, or do anything that disrupts that, you're not worth anything. Same thing here. We're showing that women, you can't just be talented for your song and your music and dancing, But you've got to sell your body to the point that it just goes too far. 
And no one's talking about the fact that across the board for months preparing for the Super Bowl to come to Miami, they had people preparing for the massive amount of sex trafficking that was going to be brought into that area. Did you know that the Super Bowl is the single largest human trafficking event in the United States? And in fact, Florida is the third, it is actually the third in the top three of the most, um, like biggest areas for sex trafficking, human trafficking. And so add the Super Bowl on top of that. It was interesting when it was back in Texas a few years ago, uh, it was the attorney general, Greg Abbott at the time. And he was saying that, again, similar to what I was saying earlier, it's the single largest human trafficking incident in the United States is what he said. And so whether it's been at Miami or Atlanta and other states, they're now having to go in to where the Super Bowl is to make sure that they're prepared to do sting operations to help make sure that say there are media campaigns for example months leading up to the super bowl in miami there were huge signs all over the place that said this by sex be exposed and so it was warning people we're drawing the line we want to try to stop some of this sex trafficking in the area And it's heartbreaking because at the same time as we have this halftime show that, yes, has talent, but unfortunately is reduced to sexuality for entertainment, uh, sexuality that is so exposing for women. We're also dealing with sex trafficking that is also exposing and damaging for women. And so when we're looking at the Super Bowl, it reminds me of the fact that we just had people over the last couple of weeks marching on behalf of the unborn, on behalf of women who have experienced abortions. Yet we're not talking about the fact that we just had, you know, the women's march as well. And there was this video that came out while at the women's march. You may have seen some of it. I was just dying looking at it because I think it comes back to this whole crisis of women and how they're portrayed at the Super Bowl. There's this YouTube channel called What Would You Say? And essentially a young man, Joseph Backholm of the Colson Center for Christian Culture, ended up going around interviewing women, just asking them one simple question. What is a woman? And the response was comical. I mean, really, these women I would hesitate answering because one, maybe they didn't even think about it. And two, they didn't want to give some sort of definition that would limit people. And so here are some of the responses. Quote, a woman is anyone who defines as a woman. Simple as that. Another person said, so I think a woman is someone who chooses to express themselves. Another person said, and this is, again, getting into those nasty hats and pins that they wear at the Women's March. The person said, we're selling uterus pins, but that doesn't mean that if you have a uterus, you're a woman. Or if you don't have one, you're not a woman. I mean, okay, so what does a woman, what, what defines a woman? You guys, these people at the Women's March are here at the Women's March, and they don't even want to answer the question. And so another person was asked, okay, can anyone be a woman? One person's like, yeah. Another person said, physically, sure. And then another person was like, well, we're primarily concerned about the welfare of women here, You know, kind of trying to avoid this question. And so all across the board, I think of the Women's March, I think of all the marchers, Uh, really recognizing Roe versus Wade and the harm it's done to women. But then I look back at the Super Bowl, you know, one of the most watched events of the year, all these people traveling to whatever state it may be in each year. 
And this is how we're showing our American women. And the Women's March can't even say who a woman is. I think that that says something for the crisis that women are experiencing in our culture today. That we are so wrapped up into what I really think is this kind of two option mindset anymore. Either we're supposed to be productive according to what the world says that we're supposed to do and be, or we're going to continue to hold on to our femininity. And let's take these two. So I think that the option again is productivity versus femininity. Either women have to be a cog in the machine of whatever company they're working in, whatever system they're brought into. I mean, this is how we really found the, the bad fruits of the Me Too movement is that people were willing to do whatever they needed to do in that machine. However, that machine functioned in order to get the part they wanted, in order to get the funding they wanted. And here, too, we see the same thing with the Super Bowl. And then we also see, you know, some people are saying, oh, well, bringing all this attention to sex workers in Miami for the Super Bowl. You know, I have a problem with that because it puts the real sex workers in that area at risk. I say, are you kidding me? Because they're saying, well, you know, there are consensual sex workers working in Miami and other states. So if they get arrested and get caught underneath these sting investigations, well, then they're going to be put at risk and they're now going to have a criminal record. Okay, you guys, we're losing sight of who the human person is. And that's why today I have Father Robert Spitzer joining me just in a little bit here. Father Robert Spitzer of the Magis Center, incredible philosopher. And we're going to be diving into what is the human person and how can we respond to this crisis surrounding womanhood. Father Robert Spitzer of the Magis Center is here with me. We've been talking about this portrayal of women in our culture and the absolute objectification of women through the Super Bowl, through what we see with women not even being able to define who they are. I have a question for you, and I'd love to hear from your philosophical perspective. Have we lost our sense of womanhood in this culture? Well, um, as distinctive, that might well be the case because once you can you have what's called a, a flux of identity where no one really knows where to land yeah um that's by definition uh, such an ambiguity as to what a woman is and if you say well a woman is everything then a woman is nothing mm-hmm. uh if there's nothing distinctive as plato said a long time ago about a species then it isn't really a species. It's just p- part of the genus, a higher genus, and that's the way it is. So, the, it, you know, there has to be something at some point which distinguishes women from other beings, not just from men, but from what's a woman uh, in herself, what's a woman over against other animals, what's a woman versus a man, what's a woman, um, you know, uh, in terms of uh, her ideal or what uh, the Greeks would call the tati ein enai, the what she was meant to be. If we just simply say, well, a woman is uh, a sexual being, you know, a la the Super Bowl uh, presentation, well, that is the biggest reduction of women to the lowest common denominator imaginable. You are just uh, your physical body, and you are just uh, something that brings pleasure to men who are glowering, uh, that's hardly an aspiration, an ideal of womanhood. 
So I think um, we have to go back to Aristotle again. And I think women, um, you know, will want to do this for themselves is what is the ideal of womanhood? Mm -hmm. And if you say that the ideal of womanhood doesn't include motherhood, if you say that it doesn't include some dimension of transcendentality, and after all, women have been a tremendous uh, dimension of prayerfulness and of, um, uh, you know, what one might call the virtues uh, of of prayer, the virtues of deep meditation and contemplation of intimacy with God, if if that's not part of their ideal, uh, then you pretty much are reducing um, women to, well, level one and level two. That's what's left over. I mean, a lot of women want to be level two. They think that's their highest calling. And so mm-hmm. maybe getting the best job or becoming a president or a CEO, great. But um, I would say you're missing out on the level three, level four view of who women are, and that's going to make you miss out on what's really pervasive, enduring, and deep. I love diving into St. John Paul the Great and what he discusses about the complementarity between male and female, but also even diving into his letter to women, Mulieris Dignitatis. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was looking at is he talks about how, you know, basically what happened at the Super Bowl is there's a problem when many women are basically reduced to their physical appearance. Yeah. But then he points to how, well, women have many other skills. And he talks about quoting their professionalism, their intellectual abilities, Mm -hmm. their deep sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And he said, in a word, the very dignity of their being. And so he's pointing to the whole woman has value, not just her parts and even not just her professionalism or Mm -hmm. her intellect. And it's interesting because I think that although there was this over-sexualization of women portrayed at the Super Bowl Mm -hmm. or through the sex trafficking we were discussing earlier. At the same time, there's been another reduction of women to their productivity within the workplace. Oh, yeah? Oh, And that's their only value as well Mm -hmm. as what you can contribute by being not just a cog in the machine of like kind of a sexual viewpoint of the Super Bowl, but of being Mm -hmm. a cog in the machine of whatever just needs to get done. Mm -hmm. And I find many women, and I don't think it's just women, I think, you know, we could be talking about people in general. We are finding that we're too focused on productivity and getting the job done or whatever's coming next or focusing on that next goal in the wrong sense of it being our desires that we miss Mm -hmm. that there's value to who we are in this moment right now. Oh, yeah. And there's a beautiful uh, set of... uh, uh, letters or actually essays that were written by uh, Edith Stein, mm, who is now mm-hmm. a Saint Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And um, she's a Carmelite saint, but she was one of my favorite philosophers um, before I ever read this book, uh, which was uh, her Essays on Women. And it's a really excellent book. But the first essay is on empathy. And if you want to see the essence of women writ mm-hmm. large, mm-hmm. there it is. I mean, it, it is a most beautiful essay written by one of the most famous philosophers around. You know, uh, you know, uh, when I was a young graduate student, I was trying to, I did my one of my very first papers on her. Uh, you know, she she took Edmund Husserl's uh, time consciousness lectures, and she she reduced them to a a book, basically, the Inner and Zeitbewusstsein lectures, you know, of, of Husserl. And um, that was a, a really tough 
um, <laughs> a set of essays. Well, and people, sorry, don't realize where she's coming from because people are saying, oh, you're talking about a saint and she was a sister. Well, this woman was a Jew. She converted to mm-hmm. eventually becoming a Catholic, but she was basic, basically an atheist for a long period of time. And so her pursuit mm-hmm. of understanding who God is and who women are is very profound. Oh, yeah. And as a matter of fact, you know, at the end of the day, you know, um, uh, Heidegger uh, mm-hmm. basically wrote this book called Being in Time, and and um, uh, it was uh, Edith Stein uh, or, you know, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross be- responded uh, to that with, you know, a book on being in eternity. And um, she uh, was just, uh, you know, kind of a mystic in her own way. Mm-hmm. And she also, though, was very profoundly influenced by St. Thomas Aquinas, and she gave a phenomenological approach to St. Thomas, which is almost unique mm-hmm. in that book, Being in Eternity. And um, uh, that was the first thing. And then, of course, she, she, she was reading th- – there's a wonderful book uh, called The Story of My Life uh, by St. Teresa of Avila. If people haven't read that, you know, don't think this is going to be a walk in the park. It's a very profound book on basically growth in the spiritual life, and she's – intends it in that direction as well as being autobiographical. But the main thing there is that Teresa Benedict of the Cross was reading that book by Teresa of Avila. And when she saw that, um, uh, two sections in there about God and about mysticism and about prayer and about the love of God, she just scrolled into the margins, this is truth. Hmm. And she uh, really, she began pursuing uh, her career as a Carmelite uh, sister and, and so you know, a wonderful, well, these essays, you, you have to read, it's called Essays on Women. Yes. And um, by, uh, it, it'll still be called Edith Stein, not St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. Yes. And we will post a link to that in the show notes. You can pull those up mm-hmm. at radiotrending.com. You can learn more about Father Spitzer and get all the links to his projects, such as Credible Catholic through the Magis Center. I love a quote from St. Edith Stein. And by the way, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Father Robert Spitzer joining us today. But there are a couple quotes from her that I love when we talk about womanhood. And you were mentioning empathy and how much she talks about empathy in her work on women. Mm-hmm. And first, though, I want to touch on this where she says a woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold and this quote has always stood out to me and you can see it right here now in her pursuit of knowledge how she went this is truth this is what we're supposed to seek after and so not only does she foster the presence of god within herself but she draws people into mm-hmm. having that flourishing development of their faith as well. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, honestly, uh, what Edith Stein did was trying to describe the essence and ideal of woman. Because, remember, she, she's influenced by Thomas Quinn, So she's influenced by Aristotle. So the idea of having a goal or an end or an objective or the telos, you know, that, that, that's very much in the forefront of her mind. So she's saying, well, what is the ideal woman? Well, empathy is a part of it, and then transcendence is a part of it, and the bringing together of empathy with transcendence. Remember, empathy is that feeling, right? It's the co-natural feeling where two uh, individual beings are brought together uh, through maybe what we would call in physics a sympathetic vibration, right? So that there may be two vibrations going on, but uh, if you get achieve an ideal harmonic, the two come together. 
And once that happens, this sympathetic vibration, it's, it's amazing, right? There's a, an attraction. You can overcome your individuality, overcome your autonomy, overcome the enmity between people by just that simple uh, empathy. And she says, well, the essence of women is, is to empathize. It's the direct and unmitigated you know, connection with other human beings. That's why women are mothers. They have the direct and unmitigated, uh, you know, connection with other human beings. Men don't do it that way. Men always find a set of mediating circumstances through which relationship occurs. And so, you know, they, they have to play a game, maybe golf or baseball. And then there's the rules of the game, and, and you have to obey the rules. And winning the game is very important, as well as connecting with the human person. Women don't do it that way. <laughs> and there's a, there was a wonderful essay written by uh, Carol Gilligan long ago called In a Different Voice. And, um, and she wasn't a Catholic or anything, but uh, like Edith Stein was. But but basically, what what uh, what uh, Carol Gilligan said is, yeah, the unmediated relationship with others is the mark of womanhood, and and um, and uh, uh, men, of course, we don't do it that way. There's no question about that. The logic games, the the the, the physical games, the baseball, whatever it is, right? These things are kind of. Uh, uh, the the mediation that we seek to 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 develop relationships with others, but once you take that unmediated relationship, that sympathetic vibration, that empathy, which characterizes women, it's not just that it makes them ideal for um, uh, children and motherhood, but it makes them ideal partners for men. But it also makes them. Precisely what Edith Stein talked about, shelters for others in the world, that there is this giving comfort that is there, which can only occur through the unmitigated empathy that women bring to the fore. Men just can't give it. That's what attracts men to women. It's not the physical appearance is just what it's a chimera that men get, you know, stuck in. But at the end of the day, the addiction when men know women, is their empathy. And it's that unmediated relationship. And when they look into a woman's eyes, they can tell. They're not like me. They are different. They are receptive in an unmediated way, and they give in an unmediated way. And this is intriguing. It attracts me because I ain't it. And so the, the main thing then, you know, uh, is to see it's not just the empathy part, the unmediated relationship. This is brought into the fuller context of other people, that giving shelter, giving comfort, right, you know, to, to people. And then on top of that, it is also brought into the transcendent realm. Mm-hmm. Now, this doesn't mean that women can't be good mathematicians or good accountants or good business people or good whatever. <clears throat> of course they can because they have the same logical skills and things of that nature that men do. However, women are generally unlikely, if Carol Gilligan is correct, to want to give their whole lives over to mathematics. Some will. But men will be much more easily inclined to do that because there's something that draws women, not a lack lack of talent, but it's the empathy within them that wants them to look to other things. To people. To to people, to relationships, to God even, not just, you know, how many women are going to say, I want to study theology all my life. So many women get to the work of prayer, or I should say to the relationship, the unmediated relationship of prayer 
and mystical prayer, to be sure. And so it's if you read Edith Stein, this combination of empathy to transcendence, to the common good, to the comfort, it's there. And that is a characteristic and distinctive feature of woman, of women. And if women can't name that for themselves, this is a tragedy. I mean, at the end of the day, you're stuck with the lowest common denominator. And I look at women in our culture and I look at the challenge, you know, all of a sudden we have more women in the workforce and maybe you find yourself there and the men don't always respond well. Sometimes they maybe behave as if the women are in the way and that's because we're asking them to collaborate and function and work together in a way that they're not used to based on their nature. So we'll be coming right back here on Trending with Father Robert Spitzer talking more about femininity and womanhood. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. come back we're talking about womanhood you know women's marchers could not define what a woman was that's not something you can do in one episode of trending um, but it is something that we can contemplate more from the catholic tradition and from the great breadth of philosophy we have within our tradition we've been talking about saint edith stein and her work in Father, you were talking about, we close with women being incorporated into the workforce and how that's actually changed and challenged men in terms of how they work. You'll actually mm-hmm. see studies where they complain that, you know, maybe a man will come in and he'll say, okay, you know, look at his team and do say, okay, do this, do this, do this. Okay, there your orders go versus a woman's going to come in and say, okay, here are your orders. Now, how are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. They're more collaborative first and foremost, but two, they want to see <clears> that <throat> the way it's done is done well. Mm-hmm. And not that men don't want to see things done well, but I think that this touches on a theme of beauty in women that we get wrong when we reduce women to the beauty of their body parts, when in reality it's the beauty of the soul and the way women do things, which is why when women aren't virtuous, and that's the type of beauty I'm talking about, men are often scandalized by the way we tend to behave. And I think that's part of what we see in the workforce based on how we're seeing men and women interacting right now. Yeah, I, well, boy, you have listed a whole number of issues there. <laughs> Where do you want to go? <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I think that's that's clear is that, um, again, the identity crisis that's going on in the culture relative to women, um, you know, select, I mean, you, you're clear. Uh, you're not in an identity crisis as a woman. But a lot of uh, women um, can't really make up their mind who they are. And when you, for example, when you point out virtue, you know, virtue is important because if you really have empathy at the forefront of your mind, which essentially manifests itself in care for others, if that is the case, then you got to have some virtues, right? How can you have genuine care without some degree of humility, some degree of self-sacrifice, some degree of compassion, some degree of feelings for the little guy, et cetera, et cetera? You, you got to have those virtues. And the, the interesting thing is, is, you know, when you abandon that and become almost, uh, you know, um, uh, 
uh, you know, just interested in the material domain or just interested in the power game, if I can put it that in that fashion, then what winds up happening is a definite identity conflict. And it's not just for men in the workplace. It's for other women in the workplace. They don't know what to do uh, 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 with, with a person like that. And you say, well, I want to be the power broker uh, in here. There's nothing wrong with having power and using power well. But I think you don't want to deny your identity to do it. And you don't have to. You can still be a, a great woman. You can still call other people into relationship. You can still look after the team. You can still, you know, uh, you know, encourage everyone in that workplace to be virtuous right. and not take you know, the fear and hubris route. I mean, women always had that capacity to, 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 to go right between fear and hubris. Men's Achilles heel is that they, they are sh- straddled between fear and hubris, and, and empathy has not been their safe course, uh, you know, that, that called them to that, that, that uh, you know, um, uh, blessed mean, as Aristotle would say. So I, I would say, yeah, that's, that's my, my sense of, of things is in order to be an effective leader and, and an effective broker of power, which is what leaders do have to do at the end of the day, uh, in order to get to the goals of the organization, you do not have to abandon your identity as women. You can do it as women with all the empathy, virtue, mediate, and, and unmediated authority and transcendence that you want. That's Father Robert Spitzer. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I love when we can look at the combination of the body and the soul. So we looked at, okay, so the woman's body is generally looked at as something very beautiful. And so that beauty transitions into virtue, as we've been discussing. But I also think that sometimes people will make the argument, women will make the argument, well, I don't feel like I'm meant to be a mother. I don't feel very beautiful. And they start to like kind of put themselves down and say, well, does that make me less feminine? And I'll add this part, maybe generalizing this a little bit more for both men and women. People will say, well, my life is worthless because I don't feel like I have any skills. I don't feel like I have anything to contribute. And it's interesting because I think the women who are saying, I don't think I'll be a good mother or I don't think I'm beautiful are saying the same thing, but from a very feminine perspective. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just remember, I, I have a lot of friends who, before their first child, all said, oh, I, right. I don't think I'd be a good mother. And they had a fear of motherhood that is amazing to me. I, I, I don't know if my, my mother had it necessarily at all, but, but it, it seems today it's, it's pretty high degree of fear. And so um, one of the thoughts, you know, is I, every one of these people I know who had that fear once the first child came along wanted a second one mm-hmm. you know they they not only were good mothers they loved being mothers and the minute that child being natural empathizers the minute that child was in their arms that child was just giving them life even though the child was probably just gurgling or saying something <laughs> unintelligible not you know you know but that was just pouring life into their hearts and because of that, they all of a sudden said, what have I been missing? Uh, my sisters were all, you know, they, they had jobs and they all had children. And I delighted in every one of them. So for all intents and purposes, uh, you know, I, I would say it's, 
you just have to get over the fear. And right. I mean, uh, right. and uh, and you know, be countercultural. I hate to say right. it, but you have to be countercultural. That's Father Robert Spitzer. You're listening to Trending with Timory. If you want to hear more of Father Spitzer and our other guests here on Trending, you can head over to radiotrending.com. Again, that's radiotrending.com. Father, I mentioned earlier there's this attitude also people where people will say, well. I have no skills. I have nothing to contribute. And it's men and women. (laughs) And it's so interesting to me when I hear people say that because they always think, well, you know, let's say we're talking about someone who's a little younger, maybe in their 20s or trying to figure out what to do. But it's not just this age range. Well, you know, I didn't really play any sports necessarily, or I didn't really mm-hmm. think that I was good at any sports. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have this that you're doing, but I don't feel like I have something. And I always feel like at the heart of this problem is they don't see value to who they are, mm-hmm. which makes it so that they feel like they have nothing to give. Yeah. It's a, a fundamental confusion in the culture between esteemability and lovability. And what I mean by esteemability is you find some characteristic about yourself that has some kind of comparative value. So we call that extrinsic value. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so esteemability means, you know, I'm going to find a characteristic about myself, extrinsic to myself, that I do real well. I'm a good accountant or I'm a good speaker or I'm a good athlete, which I certainly am not, and so forth and so on. So the, the, the key point um, is it, it's extrinsic. But then there's lovability. There's something intrinsic to myself. There's something good about my presence, my friendship, my unique way of being with people. So we can sometimes identify, make our identity statement on what we're doing, but we also have to make it on our being with, our being with others. So do you, we all realize this, you know, that, that um, sometimes uh, the best thing we can do uh, for the world is to do something for the world. But sometimes the best thing we can contribute is what is being, just simply being with another person. So when somebody's suffering, and you give some sympathy, you can make that life bearable once again just by listening, just by being in ear, just by giving your time. I mean, when you're with your kids, you know, I remember when I was younger and, and uh, you know, I'd always have some publication deadline over me, you know, as a young man and writing these articles. And my nieces were little kids at that time. They'd come up and go, Uncle Bobby, let's play Crazy Eights. And I go, I hate that game, you know. <laughs> and I'd just say, I, you know, I got these articles to do it. But I knew something in me just said, no, the better thing I can do for the world right now is to play Crazy Eights with them, to be with them, to enjoy them, and above all, to let them know I love being with them, being with Mm. them. I want to spend time with them. And if you don't want to spend time with them or be with them, believe me, they'll pick it up. If you don't want to be with them, they'll take it as a a form of unlovability. But if you tell them that their presence is good, that I want to be with you, this is the, the best thing I can do with my life and my time right now, they pick it up as lovability in themselves. And that's the way the world works. Right. So, you know, if you don't value your presence, 
If you don't value that, you know, your time means everything to somebody or that just your presence and friendship means everything to somebody, you know, just, you know, I remember once my dad was in, you know, they would, my mom and my dad, they'd lie down, uh, uh, they were sitting in their beds, right, you know, and they're reading their books. Dad was reading some war book or something, and mom was reading some other book. And so, you know, um, you know, one day I walked in and I said, you guys are always reading, you know, different books, you know, you're kind of in your separate worlds. My dad looked up and he went, no, he said, reading with your mother makes all the difference. And I finally kind of got it. Being with. That she, he just wanted to do this with her, even though he was in a different world, in a different book, and she is in a different book. And I just thought, well, they should be in the same book. And of course, there it is. It's lovability. It's presence. It's being with. Therein lies so much of our identity as human beings. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Father Robert Spitzer of the Maja Center is here with me on Trending. You can find just one piece of his work at CredibleCatholic.com. You can learn more about his work at RadioTrending.com, where we have links to all of his books, websites, and literally CredibleCatholic.com is an online book that you can read for free, taking you deeper into your prayer life, deeper into understanding who is God, what is the soul, what is the will and free will. So please go check that out at CredibleCatholic.com. Father, we were talking about in the last segment, how we have to learn to value ourselves and our own presence. Mm-hmm. And then from your, there, you told a story about valuing giving time to others in the sense that, you know, you might have mm-hmm. this idea of how I could better use my time in a mm-hmm. given second or in your circumstance, you know, sitting there playing crazy eights with mm-hmm. your nephews. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about how people often say time is your most valuable asset. Mm-hmm. But with that in mind, there are a lot of people who aren't willing to take the time anymore. Mm-hmm. And whether it's in friendships, relationships, people, you know, look at it as a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I think that that has developed, and we've had a psycho- couple of psychologists here on the mm-hmm. show sharing this, is that a lot of people have this lack of self-esteem. They think all they need to do is focus on the productivity rather mm-hmm. than being themselves. And mm-hmm. it's led to a generation that's been incredibly unaffirmed. Mm-hmm. And so when they're unaffirmed, they're not really able to enter into relationships. What are your thoughts in helping to respond to that from a distinctly Catholic perspective? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, um, I know this is not a good word to use, but uh, at one point you might call it affective retardation. And that is to say that there, when you disregard your presence, your friendship, your lovability, um, your ability to listen to another or affirm another in times of suffering, the things which are purely relational, uh, then what happens is you objectify, you thingify yourself. And so all of a sudden, you when you thingify yourself, you, you go down five notches. You, you take out the spiritual dimension of life. So it's not just this emotional. It's more than a challenge. It's a kind of a retardation. It's, it's kind of a, a loss, a kind of a lobotomy of sorts. And so it's, it's a tremendous loss 
because you don't have that emotional depth anymore, right? Once you don't value it in yourself, you're not going to have emotional depth. So you're just lobotomizing this whole part of your personality. But it's not just that. It's your self-image. You become more and more like a thing and less and less like a spirit, a soul, a person, an interpersonal person, an emotional, affective, interpersonal person. And you're going to lose this. You don't use it. You lose it. The old game. But if you deny it in yourself, you'll definitely lose it. And why would you want to give yourself a spiritual and lovability lobotomy. I mean, this this is a problem of immense proportion because once that occurs, and this is very true for women, empathy will decrease. In fact, the capacity for empathy will decrease. And if the capacity for empathy decreases, I can assure you of this, the empathy with God, empathy with your children, everything that's so needed for the world to be civil will decrease. Once empathy decreases collectively on the part of women, empathy collectively in the culture will decrease, and we will no longer be a civilization worth living in. The more we go down in empathy and the capacity for empathy, as people sit there and bury their faces in their cell phones, etc., the more we go down in empathy, the more the, the, the capacity for civility, the capacity to relate to people and care for no other reason than they're intrinsically good, unique, lovable people who deserve to have some kind of time, attention, the whole notion of intrinsic worth. Skip intrinsic lovability. Intrinsic worth is going to go down the drain. And we all know what happens when we have extrinsic worth as the sole criteria for personhood and the value of life. We get B.F. Skinner's great vision in his book, Beyond Freedom and Dignity, where we just turn over the world to the most productive people and the rest of these people that just aren't worth it. You just have to marginalize the little unproductive rats. They really aren't worth it anyway. So we'll build a nice culture for the elites. Wonderful. You know, when you're saying this, Father, I keep thinking, you know, I think the greatest threat sometimes to uh, really where we dehumanize, we thingify yourself. I love mm-hmm. that phrase. Th- I mean, think about it. Thingify yourself. That's what we do is just, quote unquote, getting stuff done. Like always mm-hmm. trying to get something done. I mean, for you, whether you, you know, you're talking about getting that paper done, getting those mm-hmm. articles done, getting the book done, mm-hmm. you know, getting the project done, getting the cleaning done. Mm-hmm. We become overwhelmed by just getting stuff done that we literally thingify ourselves by not stopping to. And maybe it's just being present in those things we are doing slower. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that there really should be better priorities in our life. I think that's the mm-hmm. balance and battle. It's the balance. That's the word. You see, if you don't value your own presence, your friendship, your listening, your being with others, if that doesn't mean anything to you, you will think it doesn't mean anything to anybody else. Once you start doing that, of course, we go downhill even further to the loss of empathy, as I said, and from the loss of empathy to the loss of collective empathy within the culture, etc. Spiral downwards. And we're in that spiral, by the way. Make no mistake about it. 
uh, we, we're becoming less civil. And I mean, when you see whole groups of women just saying, I'm pro-abortion, I want to kill these little babies. I want people to have the freedom to kill, kill, kill. Once you have that going on, are you kidding me? Empathy is a goner collectively. Now, I don't want to st- just stay on the negative side. What I do think, what can, what's the recipe to get out of this disaster area? The first thing we have to do is value, empathy, and presence, and being with, and our unique lovability and goodness and friendship in ourselves. If you don't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else? I'm talking about real love here, you know, valuing something, your intrinsic worth, your intrinsic and, and, and unique and good and lovable self, you, you know, valuing your presence, valuing your friendship, valuing your time in the sense of giving it to people just by listening and being with them, not having to do, 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 but just being with them in friendship, or you sit around a table and you enjoy one another's company. I mean, isn't that just life-giving, life-affirming? Isn't that what makes life worth living? Do you think everybody wants to get up from the table and you know, and just when some guy is and just say, let's let's do some cleaning and some dishwashing? Don't you just hate it when people break up a perfectly good relationship at a table and just start doing the dishes or something crazy? We want rather the opposite, where some guy looks at his watch at three o'clock in the morning and goes, "Hey, it's three in the morning. Where did the time go?" lost in the presence, the conviviality, the life-givingness of one another's presence brought together in shared values and above all shared love. We're becoming less civil. Let's value it in ourselves first, then we'll value it in others, then we'll value it in prayer, and then we can reconstitute the culture built on what Edith Stein, St. Edith Stein called love that begins first and foremost with empathy being with others. That's Father Robert Spitzer. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I think that as I'm looking back at what we're discussing with regard to empathy and you go all the way back to the beginning of the show yeah. with, you know, the Super Bowl and everything that's gone on with the mm-hmm. halftime show and just our culture overall, it makes me ask the question, is this a result of having lost an awareness of good versus evil? Well, yes, it is. And frankly, evil's in the driver's seat. When you in st- ourselves. In ourselves. Yeah. There's nothing that the devil wants more than for you to objectify yourself. Because if the more you objectify yourself, first of all, you can turn yourself into a function machine, mm-hmm. and that's good. But, oh, there's many more steps. The minute you objectify yourself, notice how easy it is to reduce yourself to your material being. I'm just a bunch of atoms, cells, and molecules. That's all, nothing more. I don't have a soul. I'm not spiritual. Empathy sounds a little bit too soft and spiritual for me. I'm a hard physicalist, right? And so, you know, listen, I'm a physics guy. I like physics, but I'm not reducible to my cells and atoms. I love electrons, protons, quantum fields, you know, but I'm not reducible to this. And, and we should not play this game because the minute we materially objectify ourselves, watch what happens next. Then you really are just a pleasure-seeking machine. You really are just a, a manifestation of a material and, and external uh, gratification. You really just are reducible to a bunch of you know cells. Who am I? Well, I guess I'm worth one dollar and twenty-three cents, which is the worth of all the materials and minerals in my body. You know, ridiculous statements like this. And so the minute that happens, oh yeah, you can reduce yourself to a hedonist. 
What do you think happened to every single one of those pleasure utilitarians? They all, in the end result, became hedonists, and they reduced themselves to nothing more than a material being that goes after pleasure gratification. Instead, let's get out of this. Let's go back to that Catholic tradition. Let's first of all affirm that we're interpersonal persons. Let's go back to that distinction between good and evil. And, and the moment we recognize that there is a virtue and a good, there's evil, at, at, at which is vice and sin. And the moment we recognize that and we say, what is the basic distinction? Sin leads to division. Good acts lead to empathetic unity toward God, period. At the end of the day, that's what we have to do. And we re- really summarize this when we look at what did Christ say? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And as we're battling for that balance, remember First Peter 5, be prepared. Your devil, the opponent, is prowling about the world, seeking for someone to devour. So battle by finding that balance. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes. Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 